With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Of women, people in general, with that ratchet title. And 
We've had a variety of different shows. Um, we had Dita on with her show on Blast, and they talked about the current state of hip-hop. This past week on the Breakbeat, they talked about intellectual elitism. And on Friday, Em and Evil, they talked about polyamory and open relationships. So we like to give you guys a little variety with these shows here. So we just ask you all to tune in. Um, this week coming up, Wednesday, no, I'm sorry, Thursday, Vita Star, Friday, Carl and Alfred, Saturday, Raina, and then, of course, next Sunday, myself. And that information will be posted throughout the week with the title and subject matter of the shows upcoming. And, you guys, this has been, like I said, a very eventful week. Um, one announcement that I want to make, um, we are still taking abstracts for the women beyond belief, um, the anthology. And I'll post the information a little bit later. The abstract submission date is September 30th. And Dr. Hutchison would love to hear from you guys. Again, this is for women of color. So, you know, that encompasses many different ethnic racial groups there. So please, you know, if you have any questions, click on the link, send Dr. Hutchison an email. You know, we're still taking entries for that. And also, if you all weren't aware, and there were a bunch of pictures um, posted, last weekend they had the scholarship ceremony in Los Angeles for the first in the family scholarship recipients. And it was an absolutely beautiful ceremony. I had such a good time. That's why I wasn't here. I was there helping to celebrate the lives of the young people who were recipients of the scholarships. And it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. You know, the young people, extremely intelligent, you know, have a bright future ahead of them. So I can't wait to see what they achieve. But it was, you know, it was great. And so we're looking for um, donations for next year because we gave five scholarships away this year. We would like to give away more scholarships next year. So, you know, we're asking people to donate funds towards the scholarship for next year. And the donation PayPal is blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, that's blackskeptics at gmail.com, B L A C K. S-K-E-P-T-I-C-S at gmail.com. So you can send in a contribution. That will be lovely. And it goes towards, you know, you can specify that it goes towards the scholarships because we've had people um, sending in donations continuously. So, again, we just want to put that out there. We're soliciting for, you know, donations for the scholarships for next year. You see where your money is going. You see what it's achieving. It's helping, you know, young people improve their lives, encouraging and motivating them to go to school, and that's what we need to do. And considering what has been transpiring over the past couple of weeks, we definitely want to continue to encourage young people to speak up and, you know, educate themselves and become informed and active. And we've talked about a variety of different things over the past couple of weeks. And, you know, again, you know, I just think it's important that we support one another and, you know, become more active in the community. We've been advocating for people to get registered to vote 
to become active in their local politics, you know, so again, if you live in a city or a village or, you know, what have you, um, start getting active, you know, know who your elected politicians are, get registered to vote, you know, participate, know who your state reps are, you know, it's more to it than just the federal elections, it's more to it than just electing the President of the United States. What a lot of people fail to realize is that a lot of the laws that are passed and a lot of the distribution of the funds that come from the federal government is done at the state level. So those state representatives, that's very, very important for you guys to know who they are, what their politics are, and to get involved for those that believe in voting because, you know, we have quite a few people who do not believe that, you know, voting is the way. But I believe that we do have a voice and that voting does definitely um, have a major impact and our vote does count. So today's topic is post-racial America, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. You know, do we actually live in a post-racial America? And I believe that's a question that has crossed quite a few people's minds. There are some people that say, yes, we do. There are others that say we do not. And so I guess, you know, that's subjective, if you will. But over the past week, you know, it's been about a week and a day now since the verdict came in from the Zimmerman trial. And... You know, there are quite a few of us that were disturbed by that verdict. Um, Yesterday, there were rallies and protests and vigils held all across the country. And I attended the one in Chicago. I posted some pictures. And, you know, it was beautiful. You saw people of all ethnicities, nationalities. You know, they were out there. Um, There were signs LGBT, you know, um, um, activists you know, wanting justice for Trayvon. It was just a beautiful sight to see. And being a part of the secular community, again, the one thing that we have in common is the non-belief in the deity. I understand that. There are some of us that believe in social justice and others that do not, but You know, I spoke before about not seeing any responses coming from organizations, if you will. And the American Humanist um, Association, they released a statement, and I'll read you part of it. And, I mean, it it was a nice post. It was a beautiful post, and I appreciate them saying something about this particular situation. And they basically stated, and I quote, our worst race-based inclinations are unfortunate and real, but they must not be allowed to rule the day, to determine conduct and to taint demands for equality. The flaws in our collective life exposed by the situation are tragic. Still, there is an opportunity here to challenge the ways in which race and its implications continue to matter and to work toward a more life-affirming society. There is no way to demand that demand people like those who do not resemble them 
but we must produce more humane ways of preventing that preference from destroying life, from taking away other Trayvon Martins. Addressing our worst inclinations requires collaborative efforts to better recognize the ways in which race and other markers of difference continue to impact individual and collective life. This is best expressed through renewed intention to make a difference, to now address the shortcomings of our collective life better than we have in the past, end quote. And it was a beautiful statement, so guys, you get a chance to read it. I posted it earlier this week. Um, in addition to that, Devchick released a statement as well, and I just wanted to read a small excerpt of that as well because, Again, you know, I've seen some individual, you know, posting. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge when I do see, you know, other organizations, um, you know, post about it. But basically, you know, right here with Skeptics, the first paragraph, it says, if you take issue with my use of the term vigilantes, let me fix it for you. I meant, quote-unquote, neighborhood watch types who violate their own rules and, if I might venture to suggest, have personal histories that render them terrible candidates for gun ownership. Others have covered the bases better than I can. And she goes on to, you know, list different perspectives, six different perspectives um, written by other people. And, again, you know, the title of her blog, There's a Wrong Way to Talk About Trayvon. So, you know, we appreciate Rebecca and Skeptics releasing that statement there. Um, another one, Greta Christina, you know, she released the statement as well. And, you know, to quote a paragraph from hers that says here that basically that she, I'll just read it verbatim, I am sick to fucking death of the idea that free thought means we have to treat all ideas as worthy of consideration and debate them calmly and without anger and treat people we disagree with respectfully. Some ideas are morally repugnant. It is not antithetical to free thought to respond to morally repugnant ideas with rage. It is not antithetical to free thought to tell people with morally repugnant ideas that their ideas are morally repugnant and that you will have nothing to do with them. And she just went on and basically she was saying that she was sick to death of people looking at the national conversation about George Zimmerman verdict and acting as if, oh, no, people are being mean to people who express views they find morally repugnant. They're swearing at them and unfriending them and blocking them. And she just went on to talk about how, you know, she doesn't necessarily want to interact with people who seem to be willfully ignorant and ignoring, you know, the overall, the overarching issue about the Zimmerman verdict and the murder of Trayvon Martin. And last but not least, and I thought this was very poignant, um, Dr. Hutchison, she tied in the fact that Trayvon was supposed to graduate this year, the class of 2013, and she tied it in with the scholarship ceremony in which, you know, we celebrated, you know, this year's graduates, and we're sending them off to school with, you know, some hope. 
saying, sending them off with some funds and some encouragement and some motivation to move on. And, you know, to quote a paragraph from um, the blog she released, it says, here Zimmerman's acquittal for his cold-blooded murder is a turning point in baptism by fire and the cultural politics of colorblindness. It is a turning point for every middle-class child of color who believes their class status exempts or insulates them from criminalization. It is a turning point for every suburban white child whose lifeblood is the comfort and privilege of presumed innocence. It is a turning point for every talented tenth parent of color who has deluded themselves about the corrupt creed of Americana justice. And it is a turning point for a collective historical amnesia in which race and racism are soft-pedaled through imperialist narratives of progress, enlightenment, and transcendence. And it just goes on and, you know, you know, an excellent blog as well. So I would encourage you guys to go out there and to read these um, different blogs. Um, and there was a blog by a 16-year-old young man on, um, and his name was Jamar Reed. And basically he was asking, what is a kid's life worth? And I posted it, and Melissa um, Harris Perry spoke about it today. But basically, the underlying thing from his post is uh, basically just how worthless is a black man or kid's life in this country or this world. And, you know, you can go out and read that yourself. And we've talked quite a bit about race, especially over the past couple of weeks. And I just think it's imperative that we not lose focus and that we not lose sight uh, what was you know what's happening in this country? Because what I'm starting to see is a lot of conservatives and Tea Partiers, if you will, trying to basically control the tenor and tone of this narrative. But there are people pushing back and fighting back, so they're also trying to inundate us with stories of racism and trying to change the conversation by introducing, you know, what I consider a myth, which is black-on-black crime. You know, I do not believe there is such a thing as black-on-black crime. Crime is just crime. And we'll get back to that a little bit later. But in the secular community, again, just because a person is a non-believer, atheist, free thinker, whatever you may call yourself, um, that does not preclude them from being irrational, does not preclude them from being racist, it does not preclude them from being, you know, many different isms and having different phobias or what have you, because we're all human and we're all fallible. And, you know, we talked about the video with Dusty in which he called black Christians Uncle Tom. And we had a response show to that. We didn't even touch on his video when he said that atheists are the new niggers of the world. We didn't even touch it. But it's coming. Trust me, it's coming. Another prominent YouTuber in the atheist community made a comment, and I alluded to it to Monday when I did the show about Trayvon and... I wanted to give myself some time to, you know, watch the video a few times. 
and to make sure that it wasn't conflated with my feelings and my emotions from the Zimmerman verdict. But the Amazing Atheist did a video um, on the Zimmerman verdict. And basically he called those of us that disagreed with the verdict whiners. And, you know, some of the comments were outrageous. You know, you have to look at the comments for the video. But I want you guys to go and check it out. So the title of the video is On the Zimmerman Verdict, and this is from The Amazing Atheist. And, again, those of us who differ with the verdict, you know, he considers us as whiners. And there are many, many more different points in that video that I find disturbing. But I want you to go and watch it and see for yourself. And then, you know, I guess my point to that is there are people in the secular atheist community that wonder why we feel uncomfortable. You know, and I'm talking about many, you know, um, atheists of color, non-believers of color, humanists of color, whatever title you use. And there are some people, some, you know, non-believers of color that agree. And there are some that don't. And I happen to be one of those who do not agree with that particular assessment. And what that does is it just reinforces why I feel that we have to continue to talk about race and racism and sexism in the atheist community, why we have to continue to bring these issues to the forefront. I'm telling you guys, do not get weary. Trust me. You know, we've been talking about this for a while, but in particular, this past week, I'm just inundated. And, you know, it took a lot out of me to go to that rally yesterday. And But we, I did it. And I posted the pictures to tell people to be encouraged and to continue on. And we'll continue to do these shows because, again, um, we supposedly, or allegedly, if you will, live in a post-racial America. Now, I'm going to give you the Wikipedia definition of a post-racial America. And it says, post-racial America is a theoretical environment where the United States is devoid of racial preference, discrimination, and prejudice. Some Americans believed that the election of Barack Obama as president and wider acceptance of interracial marriage signified that the nation had entered this state, while others believe that groups such as the Tea Party movement prove it has not. And so, um, you know, there are many different definitions out there, but I just wanted to kind of give you that one particular um, vanilla or generic definition out there so you can kind of have an idea. This past week, um, President Obama spoke specifically about the Trayvon Martin case. And it appeared to be unscripted, and he appeared to have spoken from his heart. When I was watching him, as he spoke, he looked very somber. And it looked like it weighed heavily on him to have to come out and have this particular conversation. But 
he spoke about some of his personal experiences as, you know, a man of color and before he was elected senator of the United States, before he was elected president of the United States, and how he was basically um, followed around department stores and how, you know, some white women would clutch their purses or people would, you know, lock their doors when he would come walking by. And this is something that we've all experienced, not just men of color, but women of color. We've experienced um, quite a bit of, you know, these types of situations as well. I was going to say phenomena, but no, it's not a phenomena. Um, But we've experienced quite a bit of this as well. And I see a lot of people, you know, because I read comments, you know, and I go to websites that have opposing opinions, which is fine, you know, do not have a problem with that at all. And, you know, you have people out here that believe that people of color are the racist ones, and in particular black people, because we keep talking about racism, and they believe that if we stop talking about racism, that it will all go away. And, you know, what I find interesting is it's like we're having two different conversations. We will say one thing, but they will hear something totally different. And the biggest example of that was this past weekend with Don Lemon when, you know, he was having a conversation on his show. And, you know, basically, um, you know, he was talking to a gentleman, and you know, uh, Mr. Ferguson, and he said, are you saying, Don, that every woman in America that's white is automatically, 100% of the time, terrified of an African-American man in any one of these situations, but they would not be terrified if it was a white or Hispanic man? That's an incredible broad brush. That's what you're implying. And Don Lemon responded, that's not what I'm implying. That's what you're hearing. I'm telling you my experience. The president's telling you about his experience, and you're saying that we're not having that experience. Who are you to tell us we're not having that experience when you're not living it? You're not in our bodies. It's insulting for you to say, no, that's not happening. You don't live as a black man. You don't know that. And that's something that I've been seeing online. It's something that I, you know, experienced people saying to me that, you're not really experiencing that. It's all in your head. And that's not true. Um, you're going to have to take yourself and place yourself in our shoes, if you will. Try to get a better understanding as to, you know, what we're dealing with and our perception of the particular situations. You have many people out here who basically try to tell us that, you know, what we're perceiving, what we're experiencing isn't what we think and believe it is, and they try to excuse it away. And we have Rain on the line with us here. And Hey, guys. Hey. And I think Mario, here's Mario. Mario's on the line with us as well. And, you know, I just think it's important that... Hey, it's important that we do not allow people to take this narrative and run with it 
and try to dictate to us what we actually are, you know, experiencing or are not experiencing. Because again, just because. Well, I mean, don't you, you know, don't you, don't you find that when they when they do that, that it's like it's like you know they they. It, I don't think that sometimes that they know how insulting and how racist some of them are actually being. Some of them, I have no doubt, they know exactly what they're doing and, and they mean to be racist when they say these things. But um, I think that just goes to show you sort of the na- naivete, you know what I mean, of these people and, and, and sort of how bought in they are into some of these notions of white supremacy. You know, this idea that black people somehow are not capable of being intelligent enough to understand you know, uh, or or be able to distinguish reality from um, fiction. You know what I mean? That, you know, that our experiences need to be explained to us by some other individual. Right, exactly. And that's why I think we have to be careful, especially, you know, some of the things that I'm seeing in the secular community. Because with some of these people and some of the things that they're saying, you know, they're saying or implying that black people are stupid or ignorant and that they aren't experiencing reality. And this is reality. It is reality because we say it's reality. Right. We cannot it's, allow it's that all, to it's all about It's all about power and legitimacy. And power and legitimacy in a white supremacist context means that people of color do not get to name their own experiences and do not get to um, define reality as they see it. Um, you know, and this is, and I mean, and I was having this argument with somebody um, the other night about how important it is to have these conversations and how important it is um, to to investigate and to study and to, um, you know, develop, you know, really good critiques, you know, of of white supremacy, and he was saying um, he didn't think that I was important at all. I was saying, well, I said part of the reason why, you know, we've had, you know, well, not just the civil rights movement in the 1960s, but, you know, all of the movements that we've had, you know, all of the gains that we've made, you know, from, you know, from, you know, the slavery, you know, to post-slavery, the post-slavery environment, you know, there were, you know, these weren't just people saying, hey, you're being mean to me. You know, these were people who right. were investigating the problem. They were like, you're doing more than just being mean to me. And here are the figures. And here is the name for it. You know what I mean? And, exactly. you know, I didn't, you bet you didn't, I, you didn't think I could come up with a name for this, but I did. And here's the evidence to show that this is happening. You know, the people like Ida B. Wells and W.E.B. Du Bois and, you know, other individuals, you know, who actually sat and and, and you know, and pondered these problems and, and gathered the evidence. You know, this is why, you know, having shows like this are, are so important, is, you know, for having this sort of dialogue and to, you know, generate consciousness, you know, or, or to kind of, um, you know, awaken, awaken people to the problems, you know? Exactly. Right. And to quote, oh, go ahead, Mario, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was clearing my thought. I keep getting out. Anyway, um, yeah, I agree that all this dialogue needs to be had and that we need to uh, continue to talk about all these things because, I mean, these are these are wounds that uh, won't go away easily, especially when you have, you know, you have people who seem to go out their way to kind of continue to pick at the scabs and keep opening those old wounds. Like, I'm looking at, when I'm looking at the laws that come down, or I look at the way the, um, the white, um, white, white wings, 
had that Elmer Fudd thing going on right there. Uh, Ultra-conservative, Christian, you know, all that stuff right there. Every time you look around, they're reminding you of just how little power you have based on um, based on either your color or especially your economic bracket. And exactly. you can't, you can't, yeah, you, you cannot, you cannot, Live in a post-racial society when your society goes to remind, go does everything it can to remind you that you're not. And maybe you know the biggest thing is that we're living in a um, society that looks at all those other things in a way to um to hold you down as well. If you don't have any money, you ain't got shit. So you know when I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm looking at people saying like this dude said that we're living in a post-racial America because of what Obama said and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you can only say it because the world you live in. It probably doesn't have many many people of color in it anyway, and you don't have to. Um, you walk over those people to get where you where you need to go. The world I live in has all these types of people, especially people of color, who are still trying to establish themselves and st- still trying to get over the the um, limitations that were imposed upon them because of their history and the boundaries that were set by that. You know, we're not going to have a post. There will never be a post-racial America, in my opinion, because humans cannot find a reason find ways to not divide people and say, hey, those people, there are less than me. And since color is the most visual and most obvious, that's what they're going to keep doing. And, you know, to quote Tim Wise, you know, because I want to quote what he says, and he says, to me, post-racial is little more than a nonsense term devised by people, mostly white, frankly who would simply rather not deal with the ever-present reality of racism and ongoing racial discrimination. It is a diversion intended to paper over the divisions that have long roiled our nation and continue to do so today. Though some sincerely believe this describes America's reality, especially since a man of color was elected president, the logic of believing this signals the verifiable um, the veritable death of racism should be apparent. After all, we certainly wouldn't claim that sexism and patriarchy had been smashed in Pakistan, India, Great Britain, Israel, or the Philippines just because they all have elected women as heads of state. Right. You know, you know and if anything, the election of, of Barack Obama kind of stirred, stirred, stirred the, the hornet's nest Quite a bit because all these people just start appearing out of nowhere, showing, yeah, I am a racist douchebag, and I'm proud to admit it. Although I'm going to say that I'm just a patriot this time. And you got all these people riding around with no, no Obama, uh, uh, um, uh, stickers. Don't renege in 08 or or, 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 or tw- I mean 2012 and whatnot. And that you know it's it's in your face. You you can't. I mean, I ride through areas when I'm delivering. They blatantly say, sons of Confederate veterans. Out with the rebel flag across the center, they're recruiting people uh, for these organizations mm-hmm. that are all based on race. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's just interesting because some of the arguments that I've received um, from white people when talking about racism or sexism, but in particular racism, they sometimes, not all of them, but, you know, some of them respond, I don't see race. I'm colorblind. Uh, and to me, that's not that true. means that they don't want, yeah, they don't want to deal with racism or white privilege. And they don't, right, right. you know, it's, it's, you know, we get 
responses like this all the time. Not all white people are racist. Of course not. And I don't believe anybody would imply that, you know, that all white No, because there have been many white people that are just as outraged as we are with, you know, like public I will say... I will say not all white people are 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 overtly racist. You know what I mean? But right. I think that it's hard to live in a culture like this. You know what I mean? And even even our most well-meaning liberal white allies uh will mm-hmm. will have, you know, I I believe have, you know, some implicit racial bias. And it, and it, and it's hard not to when you're when you're in a in a society such as ours. So I just I think that we also you know, we can't get on this side, on this liberal progressive side, and think that we've not carried over anything, you know what I mean, anything negative, anything race, race, uh, racist with us. We have to, you know, constantly probe ourselves and look at our ways of thinking and determine whether or not, you know, we really are as progressive as we think we are. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of progressive, um, progressive white people who I've heard say things that are way more racist than things I even heard yeah. from conservative white people. So, I mean, it's just something you have to keep in mind. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. You have to keep it in mind. I believe we all need to confirm our biases and confront them, not only confirm them but confront them because, again, um we don't want to confirm we have we confirmation bias is always is a problem we need to you know combat but we need to <laughs> definitely confront this. When I say when when I hold on a second, when I say confirm them, acknowledge the fact that we even have them. Have so go them. ahead, uh, okay. Mario. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another thing is a lot of times I think we go by this whole thing is the ones that the bad eggs speak the loudest. So those are the ones that we have the most problem with, and those are the ones that make us all the bad. You know, the ultra racists and the ones that oh, all of you are facing, they're, they're, they're there, some that are not, and I'm pretty sure that I ran into quite a few that shook my hand and everything, but really did not like me just based on the color and whatnot. But, you know, you run across these people who pretty much put a bad name on the people that uh, inadvertently they represent. And I've run across... Uh, some of these people, like uh, the black nationalists, who are just so blatantly out there with their hatred that, you know, you can't help but see it. And so when I look at those people, and I look at the people who are pretty much cheering for this whole Chief Craven thing, I'm like, those are the people I want to see out front and center because I want those people to be shown for who they are so we can deal with those people head on. If you're a friend of mine, you're a friend of mine. If you're a friend of my my people and anybody I I call myself an ally of, then you're also a friend of mine. But if you are just blatantly just racist and have no compassion for other people that you're cheering on, that you're making video games about a kid being shot shot in defense of his life. You know what I'm saying? That that is what's going on here. I mean, the comments that I've seen even though I haven't really fought the trial to a T, really just, it disturbed me, not just because I'm black and I was once a young black male, but because, yeah, it's a life that was taken sensitively, and some people find it funny. Exactly. 
And, you know, like I said, the whole thing is, is disturbing, but we have official George Zimmerman wanting to come on the line with us from Skype. Oh, my so, yes. Let's 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 bring the official George Zimmerman on the line with us. Hello. Are you there? Who's speaking? I'll reiterate. Who's speaking? What did Who's he say? Speak? Oh. Meet me somewhere. Bitch ass nigga. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah. Because uh, 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 I couldn't understand the thing he said. But I heard, um, I heard, I heard something about a, I heard something about a bitch ass nigger. I think, but um, in any case, you knew that uh, that was a troll when you let him on the line. Anyway. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but I already knew that's why I was like the official George Zimmerman. But mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted you know again, you know when we tell people that you know these are some of the emails and inboxes and phone calls we get. There are some people out there that do not believe us, and you know I let it on oh, because I, I want them I, to in here for themselves, huh? Yeah, I found out the hard way last week. I couldn't even pay attention yeah. to the current <laughs> show trying to fight those people off. Exactly, exactly, and it's just interesting. I think this is Carl with us now on the line, and um, hey, is everybody. that you, Carl? Hey, yeah, hey. hey. And, you know, I just, the whole thing, yeah, it's it's just interesting. And like I said, you know, I think it's important that we continue to, you know, talk about it. And, you know, um, it's it's just, it's outrageous um, looking at some of this. But, again, one of the things that I definitely want to talk about, because I've seen quite a few um, diversions and, um, you know, there is no such thing as a post-racial America. For those who are waiting to hear what I have to say about it, there's no such thing. We do not live in a post-racial America. Look at our criminal justice system. Look at this so-called war on drugs. Um, look education at stop and Exactly, our educational system, the right to vote, especially with this newest Supreme Court ruling. Look at all of this. Unemployment. And for both. Exactly. Well, exactly. Also, all of them. Go ahead, also, honey. So you gotta. You, 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 yeah. When you when we talk about this term, you know, post racial America. By the way, good good afternoon, everybody. Sorry about that. But um, when we when we get into this talk of a post racial America, or, or even the term, you gotta go back and say who who said it, who who created the term. Because I'm certain it wasn't a, a black person. I'm certain it wasn't a, 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 a immigrant or another person of color that came up with that. It wasn't an Asian. You know, no one, I don't think it was any one of those individuals or any of us that came up with that concept. More than likely, it was the predominant, you know, uh, the predominant race in this society or predominant culture in this society where finally when, when Barack Obama finally became president, yeah, well, racism is over. They can stop complaining. Let's move on as if you know, you know, everybody back to your back to normal. And again, it's not our concept. I don't know. I, I, I haven't been at any meetings where we all agreed upon the term post-racial. I don't think of it that way. I don't think anyone else thinks of it that way. So, more than likely, the whole term is a concept. Well, I think that that came up. I was going to say that I think what's interesting, and I think I, 
I think I saw this on um, a little bit. I don't know if it was Melissa Harris Perry or if it was some other show, but I actually was watching a YouTube um, a YouTube uh, clip or a show. Um, it's actually Crash Course, and I kind of like them sometimes. That you know, of course, you can't really encompass all of history in like a five or ten minute YouTube video, but it's a good it's a good um, sort of primer for people who aren't really familiar with history. I, I recommend it, but it's um, Crash Course on Reconstruction. And and really, this sort of post-racial thing has come up at least three times. Because we really are, we kind of are in, like, the third wave of civil rights right now. You know what I mean? We had a civil rights period during slavery. We had a civil rights period in the 1960s. And now we're in a a different phase of the civil rights movement. And and during each one, there, there came this period where white people in general lost the stomach. Um, for you know, for the fight for um, equality and um, and civil rights, um, and so um, black people were abandoned. Black people were abandoned at the end of Reconstruction, and that's why we had black codes and Jim Crow. You know, right? Um, exactly. You know, and 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 now we're at the at the beginning or, or sort of in the middle of a third wave of civil rights um, because again we've been abandoned. Um, because now the um, the factors, you know, or, or the ways in which discrimination and racism play out are not in the form of dogs and fire hoses and you know paddy you know paddy uh, wagons and you know um, you know freedom papers. You know what I mean? It's not that sort of overt sort of racism any longer. It's it's much more covert, and so our yeah. our methods our methods in in a sense have to change, but we have to be in 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 a sense even even more you know outspoken and even more um, exactly. you know sort of you know mm-hmm. activist um you know because of the way in which it 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 it, it operates we have to educate exactly. people and show them what we're talking about. Um, so it's going to it's going to take people it's going to take people with boots on the ground it's going to take professors you know and and the intellectual community actually studying the problem it's going to take shows like this you know what I mean to to bridge the gap you know what I mean and to also try to come up with solutions so and that's the reason why that's why I've been encouraged oh that's okay hold on just one second um, that's why I'm encouraging people to understand the politics and to get involved in local politics. Because, again, a lot of this is public policy, it's the laws. And if you go back, and, you know, Raina brought up um, the black codes, and, I mean, if you go back to the New Deal and, you know, new freedom and all of that, and you actually chart and see how a lot of this came about, basically um, a lot of this is perpetuated at the state level, meaning the federal government would have to apply all of these laws equally to everyone, black, white, yellow, red, what have you. However, what they do is they give the money to the states, and then the states distribute the money for different programs and and interpreting certain laws a certain way. And depending on who's in charge, that determines who's treated fairly and equitably. So that's why we're trying to educate you guys on certain things because it's important that we get involved in local politics. Go ahead, Tom. Well, and 
and, the, and I was going to say one other thing that's important to remember about the federal laws, too, is, like, even though they are pa- a lot of these things, they do filter through states and, and state, leg- um, you know, legislation. There are ways at the federal level to implement, in, in, in effect, racist policies without including racist language. Um, this is a point that has that was lost on on um, this uh, pundit that was on you know um, the Melissa Harris Perry show uh, Perry, Perry show today um, named David Webb um, because he kept saying well where is it racist where is the racist language well there's there's ways of implementing racist laws you can implement a bias against people who have a certain education uh, level or a certain income or people who have um, a certain type of credit history I mean. The fact of the matter is, is that if you don't have a good credit history, that does not mean that you are a bad person or a person who does not intend to pay back uh, money that, you know, they owe. But you are living in, in perhaps an economically um, depressed area where, you know, jobs are intentionally kept out, where where things are intentionally depressed, um, you know, for, for political and, and, and sort of other um, means or other reasons. So you know, there's there's other ways to make things racist or sexist or um, you know otherwise discriminatory that doesn't necessarily have to include discriminatory language. Yeah. I think you well, got those those are oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, brother. I also got these. Okay. Um, I think we lose something when we when you when you attack head on like that, you just throw it in their face about. And then uh, uh, sometimes it turns them off because it automatically puts them in a defensive and stuff like that. But if you just pay attention to the things, you can pay attention to the laws, the attitudes of the people, you will see all of this stuff for what it is, and you can attack it without necessarily calling it what it is. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You know, I mean, like I said, I live in this area that I live in, you know, uh, I deliver to a lot of small towns. And a, a lot of these places, you know, that I deliver to small business owners, who will answer the door at 6 a.m. with a start on, with a handgun right over their head. They live in a predominantly white town. It's kind of countrified. Ain't nobody come to rob you. But I don't know. Maybe you did not anticipate a large black man come to your door at 6 a.m. Either way it goes, and you see the you see the little stickers that you know show whatever they're about, the rebel flags and stuff. Even the way they talk to me. You know, some of them, I can see her, like this one, this one woman in Thomason, the way she talks to her customers and her clientele is very different from the way she talks to me. And I understand that she, has, she does not know me. She has no reason to talk to me in any, any way other than a professional manner. But they're just the way that she talks. It tells me more is going on behind what she's saying. I know it. All I don't think I'm here to do is deliver this shit to So I don't really care. But I know. And so you can't do anything about attitudes, but you can't do things about the policies of the area. The only way to do that is get responsible for Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and uh, you know, the points that, that everyone's bringing up, I, you know, I'm here in Florida, and, um, you know, just off the bat, you know, Arena and um, Kim have made mention to not having to say something racist in order to be racist or you don't have to do anything overtly racist. You know, I believe it's the assumption in, 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 in I guess, in white culture that if the person isn't wearing a white hood and burning a cross on your lawn, then anything that they do to you isn't racist. 
and that's ridiculous. Here in Florida, just, you know, to tie into, um, you know, what Kim was talking about with taking political actions and what Raina was talking about with political actions being taken against people, you know, that happened here just the last election. I'm not, I'm not even going to have to go back to the 2008 to 2000 election. Just this past election, you know, little things, they would, you know, would open up these uh, in our areas, in my area. I live in Miami Gardens. And they would open up the voting booths like ridiculously early hours and then close them at ridiculously early hours. You know, they would do things like tow people's cars or send police out there to ticket people's cars who weren't parked closely to the voting area. I mean, little little things. But if you're there and if you see it happening, you can tell that, you know, you know these people are literally taking action against, you know, folks exercising their God, you know, their given right to vote, you know, as citizens. You know, there would be active things being done. Or even on a larger level, just gerrymandering. If you don't have to say that you're doing it, and you don't even have to call a name or anything. All you have to do is redistrict the town. And that can be the most over that can be a racist act in and of itself. But you don't have to it won't look that way. You know, with the whole George Zimmerman thing, the biggest thing that the folks who like to Say that black people are being whiners and everything like that. It's to quote the law. Well, it's the law on the books. So it wasn't an unfair trial. They're using the law as their racist act. So you exactly. know, it's very possible. They're yeah. using the law yeah. as racism. Yeah. It's not even you know. It, I mean, because it was the law for us to be three fifths of a person. You know, it was the law for us to not have um, to be able to read or to be educated. So it doesn't make that the law is right. But that's what they're saying. We're saying the law is not equally serving us, you know what I'm saying, and it needs to be changed so that everyone gets the rights that were assured them as citizens of this country, but they're saying that it, it, it's, an, it's an excuse or a whining that's taking place, and, you know, again, you don't have to be wearing the white hood, you don't have to burn the cross, all you got to do is flop the law, you know, put a little twist in it somehow or put a little loophole in it, and there's your racist act right there. Right. That's why we're talking about getting involved, you know, on the local level and understanding mm-hmm. the laws and bringing the information to the forefront. And go ahead, Raymond, you were about to say something. No, I was just going to say, I said the problem is, is like when I hear people who say that we're whining, it's almost like they they really believe that this was an equal, like a level playing field to begin with. And, but the problem is that these people don't understand that they, they started the game 60 points up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like they yeah. Start, that's, that's, what, that's what privilege is. You know what I mean? They started the game with points on the board. Exactly. I, I just, you know, I, and, I, and I look at that, you know, and it just, it, it even ticks me off. Anybody who knows me knows that I try to call it off on both sides, racism, sexism, homophobia, even atheism. If I have a problem with it, I'm going to speak on it. I don't care who said it. But... Even even now, when I'm looking at this whole thing and just imagining the level of heartlessness it takes to know somebody killed them, to know this person did not have to kill them, to know there was a kid minding his own business, to not it, it put yourself in a position of being threatened by somebody who you don't know who happens to have a gun and he's larger than you, you know, to the point where you're you're not even considering this person is 17, blackly screaming for help, does not know what the hell is going on, and this fool kills him. And whether or not right. 
whether or not uh, uh, he intended to or not, he even said himself he killed. So the the question isn't what he what he did is why he did it. So I mean, mm-hmm. how do you find him not guilty of killing someone he knows he killed? I mean, he said he killed. We know he killed. He's the only one who could have killed him. So how do you find him? If anything, the man should. There should be no reason why he should not have something on his ass right now. But in hindsight, not guilty mm-hmm. was the best verdict they could have given because of all the stuff that we're exposing, all the stuff that's coming out, all the anger, all the uh, uh, the, all, everyone is really putting the spotlight not on, only on Florida but on their laws and the people who are in charge and finding out that the Sanford uh, Police Department uh, um, allowed the jury uh, um, improper access and unsupervised access and stuff like that. We didn't never found out about this stuff that they could just say guilty, you know, because it whatever would have happened. But anyway, you know, what I'm, I'm thinking this is mm-hmm. a good thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but no, but, but that's the reason why, you know, what you just said there with the stand your ground laws. You know, many of the rallies that were held yesterday, many of the protests and vigils that are taking place, um, you know, it's about racial profiling, institutionalized racism, the stand your ground laws. The stand your ground laws um, are somewhat steeped in racism. And, you know, again, you know, what I find interesting is a lot of the dialogue is being pointed at the black community, but no one's talking to these vigilantes running around. No one's talking to some of the racists that are running around and attempting to antagonize some of the black protesters. No one has anything to say to them. The conversation is always pointed towards us, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the different laws, about us getting out here protesting different laws, voting, voting, you know, politicians who are creating laws that go against our best interests, vote them out. Voting them mm-hmm. out of office, put people in that, you know, will look out for the best interests of our communities. And, I mean, there's a lot more to it. That's a very simplified um, answer there. But, again, you know, there are a lot of things that we definitely need to address, but the main thing is to not allow people to change the narrative. Like I said earlier, you know, and I kind of talked about it briefly and said we would come back to it, but there is no such thing as black-on-black crime. That's a mess. No. But if people insist on saying that, you know, there is black-on-black crime, then we should talk about white-on-white crime because when you look at raw numbers, White commits more white commit more murders and crimes than blacks. Just looking at raw numbers. Right. So this, we're gonna talk about yeah. black on black crime. Let's talk about white on white crime. Go ahead. There's there's the even the discussion of black on black crime and I'm getting really irritated with the with, with a lot mm-hmm. of the brothers and sisters. There's black people on uh, and some that exactly. wanna say, Well, why are we paying so much attention to Trayvon Martin? What about all these kids that are getting killed on the street? As if there's some kind of equivalency. There's a racism exactly. to the whole to the whole thing of black on black um, violence, or or just inner city violence as a whole. I mean, in order for us to deal with that, and I hate this narrative, and and a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially folks of color, have bought into this narrative that well, exactly. if we have more if we have more fathers in the home, and if we go to church more, and then we yeah. and keep, and keep these kids and pull their pants up, you know. These like right. that would stop black and black violence. 
that's not true. In in truth, exactly. If we deal with if it, in order to deal with black on black violence or the so called concept of black on black violence, it's not going to stop unless we deal with the other elements there. The overcriminalization of drugs. We're not we're not talking about that because that is eighty percent of the gun violence in inner city right there. No one's talking right. about that. The access right. that most of these gangs and and drug folks have to guns. That's the second thing there. And then lack of living, living wage jobs. Lack of living wage jobs. Poor education. Um, in educational disparities. That's not going to be right. dealt with. All of those things have to do with, or just flat-out targeting of African-American and Latino males. That's racism. Exactly. That's Stop racism. Exactly. Not, but, but what folks like trying to do with the whole term of black-on-black violence, they're trying to say that it's this stereotype that once you ever, if you go into a lot of these poor neighborhoods, I'm talking from Compton to over here in Liberty City and Miami Gardens where I live, most of the people that live there, of course, yeah, we got projects there. Yeah, there's some folks messing up. That's true. No one's going to debate that. But for the most part, they're folks who got jobs. They're kids that go to school. They're kids that have lives. We have teams and everything. We have it just like a lot of other lower middle class communities or white communities in America. The difference is there's somebody or a system that has systematically targeted the children and the youth and the people of those neighborhoods. That's all it is. So if you want to talk back on back violence, Knock yourself out. But if we're not going to talk yeah. about failed drug policy and the attitude of law enforcement towards children and use of color, I mean, come on, we're trying to outlaw sagging pants. Are you serious? Yeah. Exactly. 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 You know, and, and, if, and you're right. Go ahead, Mario. Go ahead, honey. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, if you pitch, you know, I watch a lot of TV. A lot of, and a lot of times, you know, the stuff I listen to, like, old radio classics, turns up, they're a slice of the society of the era that they're, they're created in. So if you're looking at a lot of the things you see on TV, you'll see a lot of, a lot of other things um, behind that. You, you watch stories, uh, shows like House of Cards and um, even other uh, um, political dramas and stuff like that, even if it's not even set in this time and age, you see that the people who are making the laws, the people who are controlling you, the people who are sitting above you are just as fucked up as you are. The only difference is that they get to say that you're the one that's fucked up and make laws against you. And if you just happen to be the one, the one on the short end of the stick, well, they can sit there and say that you're the cause, you're the one causing all the problems. We have to control you and make you even worse than what you are. That's why they have the Department of Corrections, and that's why you have you looking at a prison system that's set up to send somebody to prison for years for uh, for weed or send them for two, three times more time for the same amount of uh, of, of uh, crack as cocaine and stuff like that. You're right. affecting all these people who are, you know, uh, who are on the lower, lower side of the scale who can't affect laws and everything. Meanwhile, that's you're right. just doing this is the people you're trying to punish. Yeah. Exactly, and that's the reason why I want us to talk out that black-on-black crime, you know, um, terminology, if you will, because, number one, it's a distraction. And they're trying to deflect from whatever, you know, the conversation or the topic may happen to be. But most of all, the reason why I feel we should toss it out, because basically it justifies, you know, the suspicion that black people are under um, 
almost all the time in this country. And when we start talking about black-on-black crime, it just, you know, undergirds that, and it supports and justifies that suspicion that many of us live under, and that is the problem. That is the problem. Because, you know, the odds are stacked against us from the beginning. Go ahead, Hus. And it also... Yeah, somebody will bring up... uh, also you... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Travis. Go. Somebody will bring up uh, black on black crime. I'm like, hey, uh, uh, stop defunding the schools, okay? Uh, stop the stop allowing the police department. Stop allowing the hospitals to ignore whole communities and uh, reject mm-hmm. them when they come for help, okay? Um, decriminalize the um decriminalize the drugs that takes a lot of violence out of it right away um if you decriminalize uh uh marijuana uh that takes a whole chunk of 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 money and time wasted um frisking young black men treating them like criminals on something that shouldn't be a crime in the first place and the only person who benefits from that are the uh people who have Stock in the corporate prisons. Right. Right. And the, what I will say is, as far as like marijuana, you know, it's being decriminalized um, in, in certain states, if you will. And, you know, and this may seem biased, and it is, and I'll just admit it that, you know, I'm biased in certain respects. But, Basically, it seems to me, you know, marijuana is being decriminalized because you see more people in the mainstream advocating for it. I saw a show, I don't remember if it was 2020 or it was on one of those talk shows in which they were showing this club of middle upper class white women smoking it. And I've never seen anybody smoke marijuana out of a balloon. I don't know if that was a plastic bag or a balloon or whatever. But, you know, they were huffing it and passing it around. And they had their own little club. And, you know, now that certain aspects of what was considered or deemed as negative, now that it's being accepted more by mainstream America, that's when you'll see it decriminalized. And, you know, what's interesting is, more people of color go to jail for drug sales, and in particular marijuana, when it's more people of non-color, more whites that consume marijuana and smoke it. So I just find it interesting, you know, how all of this is coming about. Marijuana mamas, that's what they call. Marijuana what? They got this new group called Marijuana Mamas. Really? And yeah, out of California, I believe it's California. And That's they, what I was talking about. Oh. Is, is that the one? Yes, ma'am. Did you talk? Uh-huh. Marijuana mamas, and they believe that, you know, because they're cool and calm as mothers, they're better mothers. I think you're right. What if um, What if that if marijuana was part of your... Um, the package they give you when you leave the hospital after having a baby. All right, now, uh, now you're gonna need these diapers. You know, yeah. here's how you, uh, you know, here's how you, you know, hook the baby to your titty, and here's some weed. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, why not? Yeah, I got a lot of the. 
But when I lock, I'm, lock I'm not necessarily going to endorse that, but I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not going to do it. But um, I mean, for a number of reasons. I mean, for one, for one, I mean, you know, when you're a mother and you are breastfeeding, you know, you you know, ingesting certain substances can you know be you know transferred to a child. So you have to be True. very careful with that. Um, you know, if chemical. you know, if you want to, if you want to do it yourself. You know what I mean? That's something different. But, you know, especially especially with young children, you know, sometimes we don't always have all of the information on how, you know, what we what a mother ingests will end up affecting her child. But because it's, it's a, such a critical window of development, I think that that should be kept as far away from children as possible. Um, we put a daddy. Prescription drugs. It's better than chemical You're prescription right. drugs. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's better than uh, prescription oh, drugs. I think it really. De- no, it, it depends on the prescription drug. It depends on the prescription drug. Not all prescription drugs are created equal. You know that's why they don't. Put and just because something is natural, mom. just because something is natural, does not mean that it is good. And we have to keep that in mind. But um, but I I, 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 do, I do understand your point. I understand your point. Uh, weed, yeah, weed is good for, for certain things. It's not good for everything. But um, weed for the daddy, uh, and he can stick around. Getting back to the subject, though, um, you know, it's you know we're talking about post-racial America, so you know you're right about when you're saying that we should you know challenge the um, you know the people who come back with us with that nonsense about black on black crime and talk about what about education, what about these other things, and we've already said that. So that was a good point. Thank you. You don't think they're stupid enough to to really want to bring up white-on-white crime and, 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 I mean, the, even the history of it. Well, you think they're that illusional, delusional, that they're going <laughs> to so go all the way back, baby? Here's the thing. It, again, the whole concept of black-on-black, black, it's, it's, a, it's a creation. Yeah. There's crime in every ethnic group across the board, okay? Yeah. It's not greater or less than um, something. Here's the thing. It feeds into a narrative that gets ratings. It has nothing to do exactly. with any reality that you or I know. We all live right. or know somebody or we've all come up in neighborhoods where it gets hairy, when it gets crazy. We know. I grew up during the crack epidemic. It wasn't a pretty place. That said, everybody on my block had a job. Everybody went out at six in the morning yeah. and came home at five. So yeah. that's this. There's, there's a there's, it's a more complex thing going on than that. The whole issue of black on black violence is something that your your local television station created so they could boost ratings. And so they could boost people, ratings. And and, and it, how do you that. get the people watching? How you get people watching that aren't from the, that are in the suburbs? And you want to make sure that the numbers. Numbers stay up on your ratings. Well, you gotta make it like the skewed. You have to talk about the den of scary black people as much as you possibly can. That's why the news leads off with that. It's not that these these neighborhoods are like wild west gunfights. They're like that because we have drug gangs in them. They're like that because of the country's lax attitude towards having a gun. You can walk into any. Okay, you'd have to go through a whole process to buy a gun in a gun store or a pawn shop. But when you go to a gun show, you can buy a gun in the parking lot because everyone there has a gun. And who do you think's there? There are two people that you're going to see at a gun show. I know this because I've gone a bunch of times. Only two kinds. Well, three, if you really want to count the folks that are going to try and be responsible gun owners. 
But the other two are is everybody that's afraid of the bad guy, whoever they are, and the folks that they think are the bad guys. Those are the only those are the two most prominent people that you'll see at a gun show. And then when they finish buying the guns, they're gonna go outside of the wherever this arena is that they bought the guns and they're going to sell the guns between each other. It's a concept that it's it's created and it's shopped to you. But it's not real. It's not real and it's, we're no different than anyone else. So if you really want to take on black on black violence, let's change the gun regulations. Again, it's not it's not us being crazy black people. It's a larger, more complex issue. But they in order for it, for them to sell it to you or to sell it to an audience to get ratings, they got to turn it into something and every juicy story needs a juicy villain. That's the only thing. Right, exactly. Oh, let's be honest. We also have to be honest about why um, about the gun control thing. I thought the Tavis Smiley video that Kim posted this week was really pretty, yeah, um, pretty funny. Yeah, because um, yeah, um, Bill O'Reilly, I, I think, um, illustrated the thinking of a lot of particularly white <laughs> conservatives, but also some white Wait, liberals. Wait, let's not get crazy now. You know, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it must not be crazy now when when Tavis Smiley, <laughs> you know, said that you know, um, you know, since the idea is is that the only way to combat a bad guy with a gun is with a good guy with a gun, let's just you know arm all the black people, you know exactly. what I mean? And all of a sudden it was like, oh, let's not get crazy, you know oh, what I mean? Oh, so, oh, I, I, I would say I would tell people go get registered to vote, go get go get registered in your state or however the laws are wherever you may live so that you can be a registered gun owner and go buy you some weapons, mm-hmm. too. Let's even it out. I'm absolutely not against that. Um, I, like I said, I'm not, I, I, I would not be, I'm not, not proud. I understand that guns are a necessary evil, and I'm not as crazy to say that no one ever needs them or no one doesn't need to protect themselves and or have a weapon. I think that's true. What I'm against is the way that people get access to them and then, you know, the, the, their ability to just have one. I mean, you got to go to school to learn how to drive a car. Any other kind of thing that could wind up with killing a bunch of people, you have to take a whole bunch of time to use it. All you got to do is take one concealed weapons class, and there you are. You have a gun on, and you're holding a, an instrument. A gun's not a toy. It's not a tool. It's a weapon. And I right. that's my discomfort. That's, that's, that's my, that's my discomfort. It's a killing machine, and, it's, and I think it, and it's it needs trick. more training than just you know a, a five-hour class. You need more but training. What you got to go. What you got to understand is that what you got to understand is that the stand your ground law was put in by Alec uh, for the NRA, and it and mm-hmm. if this and if the Zimmerman case makes you feel like you might need to get a gun, then they won. That was the purpose, mm-hmm. okay? And I, I talked to black folks going, man, I, I might have to get a gun. And it's either 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 that's the comment or I just asked the question, what advice would you give to a 6'1", 150-pound black uh, teenager to not get Zimmerman? And no one has an answer. Everyone I've asked that question to puts their head down, shakes it, and go, I don't know, because they don't know. And that was uh, yeah, that- to me, that was the beauty of President Obama's uh, speech. He didn't act like he had any answers. He's like, hey, we got to talk about this because there, there's some questions, and I only got questions. And he did it um, scriptless. Talking about that, he doesn't have the answer. And he actually said, politicians are not going to be where you find the answers, it's going to be communities 
having this conversation like exactly. we're doing right here on Black Free Thinkers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And politicians should stay out of this conversation unless it's, you know, um, working with the community on how to draft better laws, you know, working with community activists and, you know, people that have some input that understand the pulse of the community. But, yes, this, you know, again, but not churches, better laws, local but... organizations, churches, local organizations, you know, shows like this and other shows, in, in which we have this dialogue because, you know, again, you know, we're part of the community. We have, we understand what's happening, and it's just as important that we start talking about this and we take was, it to the politics. Go ahead, Raina. I was just going to say, um, you know, the uh, I mean, uh, not just, you know, new laws that are, you know, fair, but also to ensure the fair application of the law, the laws that are on the books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we have to we have to do more in that area too, you know. Because it may not that. necessarily oh. mean that we that we have to you know draft a whole new law or reinvent the wheel. We may just be able just to say, okay, how do we you know institute some kind of rule or some kind of executive order that assures that there's a fair a fair application of these laws, you know? Exactly. Because if there isn't a fair application of the laws, uh, black people are going to have to change what they wear. We're going to need safety attire. I posted on Facebook and Twitter uh, the other day. I said, because basically the safety attire for a black man is going to ha- maybe be hammer pants and a Cosby sweater. Then you're not a suspect. You're Sinbad. Yeah. Even scarier, they may, just, they may just think we need to walk around wearing something that points out we're black, like a yellow star. Or no, I think, I think, I think where, by the end of it, y'all are just going to have to be walking around naked. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> well, that's why. crazy. Hey, I started going to the gym. I, I've been going to the gym for the last few years now, and just in case it comes to that, I'll be ready. No, hey. <laughs> No, but I, but no, but the truth of the matter is, and Mario has a point, and here's what it is: that's where it starts. That's where it starts, and that's that's the ominous and scary thing. That's what is getting all of us upset when people call us whiners or they tell us that we're tired of race. The very ominous thing that comes up when we talk about on um, Trayvon Martin was, well, why was he wearing that? That's what he said. It was raining. Tire got him killed. And here's what it is. Well, maybe you shouldn't wear that. Now we have to look at what we're wearing. And again, I'm I'm right there with you. It drives me nuts. What scares me most, what what terrifies me is is that a lot of our, 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 our people are buying into that nonsense. Yes. Listen, I don't like seeing dudes walking around with saggy jeans any more than anybody else. But here's the thing. You cannot legislate poor taste. It's just bad taste. I don't dress like that. That's how I combat saggy pants. I don't raise my son to dress like that. But to go to a court, put a law, or try to get a law put on the books, there is one here active in my community in the city of Opelika. You can stop and find somebody, or the cops can stop somebody. And I'm just saying to myself, this was a black person who tried to get this passed. Do you understand what you're doing? You have just given law enforcement or any goofball vigilante like George Zimmerman another reason to target your own kids. Yeah. That's uh-huh. what's very scary. Yep. Exactly. 
you know, someone made a really cool point. Go ahead, Travis. They made a really good point. They said, uh, and it applies to laws like that and to stand your ground, you got to notice, you got to understand what you're living into. I never heard living into phrase before. You got to know what you're living into. And with a stand your ground law, you are living into a wild, wild west situation where anybody walking around could have a gun. And now I got to be worried all the time about what somebody is thinking about me. I'm six foot seven, three hundred pounds. Right, and and and, and when so, and when they kill you, your fear is irrelevant. Exactly. Their fear, exactly. Their fear right. is, is is what is what it's becomes right. is what becomes the thing that gets them off for killing you. I've been bringing that up over and over irrelevant. again. I'm bringing it over yeah. and over again. Trayvon Martin had the first right to fear. Somebody's following you for six blocks. You got the That's first right. right to fear. And to say that he doesn't and he should do something different. Is is nuts, and I and I, the what I was trying to explain to uh, I guess white people was that um, what I noticed, and I, uh, Melissa Harris Perry on uh, mentioned it the other day. She said uh, what I was saying was that black folks in general, when that verdict came through, many of us went from mad to sad in seconds. It was, and it's like exactly. we're uh, it's like we're victims of some kind of Post-traumatic, post-traumatic. Mm-hmm. I'm black too, and they can get me. They can shoot me at any time. Type of uh, mental pain, and it's rough. Yeah, it's really rough yeah. when you don't have any answers because having a because, solution or two. Because what they said, because what the, part of what they said with that with that verdict is, is that we have a right to suspect and police you. We have a right yeah, exactly. to 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 execute at any time. Yep. One of you that yeah. would be de- right. to be dangerous, and that is and that is what I think is is, is sort of the mental pain that we went through because some yeah, of us, totally. I mean, some of us for various reasons, you know, I mean, we may live in communities where we deal with that, but we may not deal with it on that level on a daily basis. And those of us, and a lot of us, I know I personally do not live with that or, or those sorts of experiences on a daily basis. Have I had those experiences? Yes, because I think every black person has had that experience, regardless of class. You know what I mean? Where where someone has has regarded them suspiciously just because they were black. But that day, oh, yeah. it, it just brought to bear uh-huh. all of these all of these experiences that I've had all at once, and I was experiencing all of that uh, anger at one time, and then you know also the realization that it hasn't gotten any better, and that yeah. was, and exactly. that was when I felt and sad. Exactly. Let's tie that into history. It's important that we tie that into history, what um, Raina just brought up there. And, you know, take the post of the story, and let's take it all the way back to slavery times. And that's a conversation that we're going to have to talk about. And it's uncomfortable, and it causes especially white people discomfort to have to talk about that particular um, time period. But let's take it all the way back to, you know, the militias. And, you know, I've posted some information about how, um, you know, white men were armed and basically sent out to um, gather up, you know, runaway slaves and freed slaves had to walk around with their freedom papers. And the, the white men that were walking around part of the state militia or the militias, if you will, they were called patty rollers. I posted this. And... Mm-hmm. It seems as though we're kind of returning 
to those days, if you will, with this vigilanteism that we're dealing with and with these stand your ground. Because what George Zimmerman did and, you know, you know, just, again, I find the whole thing detestable, is that he felt as though he could not, you know, allow Trayvon to get away. Because one of the statements he made was, they always get away. And he felt as though it was his civic duty to stop him and to bring him to justice. Even though he did not see him commit any crime, he was just, you know, he just suspected him. And there was no indication that he had committed a crime. Yeah. Exactly. And he had, and he had his chance to walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about Zimmerman. Period. Yeah, he had his vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, right. you, hear, you, you know, Paul Mooney pointed out the best thing about this case. Paul Mooney pointed out the best thing about this case is that basically the verdict gives us all permission to be loud about racial yes. issues. It gives us a mm-hmm. chance that no, you, nobody can shut me up today because I got something to say. Because it's life and death for, 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 right, for many man. of us, Absolutely. really all of us, it's life or death. Yeah. I've been saying yeah. that ever since that. I've been saying that ever since. I just want to say I've been saying that ever since that that uh, Republican hollered out to uh, President Obama, you liar. You remember that? Yeah, I Ever since then. Yeah, he was going to say to kill you. Mm-hmm. Ever since then, yeah. I, you know, I'm good. Yeah. I'm well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. And here's what folks don't understand. Uh, well, we know and amongst us that understand and why we're hurt. It's not just that George Zimmerman got a not guilty. It's that George Zimmerman was allowed to walk free after killing somebody for 44 exactly. straight days. What's that, a month? Exactly. Well, a month and a week and a half. And then the other thing, he didn't didn't also, he also didn't get, he didn't get tested for any drugs. What happened with the whole Georgia ministry? What has us on edge? What's got people getting loudest? Because, in effect, law enforcement, in effect, the judicial system has now deputized everyone in America that mm-hmm. thinks like you are now a deputy yeah. of right. the, and, and the likelihood is we will believe you. That's yeah. what we're being exactly. told. That's what we as black people, that's what people of color are being told. This guy is a literally exactly. now a deputy of the country. Yeah. So when he shoots exactly. you, it may very okay. well be sanctioned. Even though it took place, you know, a couple of years ago or what have you, but a gentleman, um, no, I think it happened right after the Trayvon thing. Um, a gentleman mm-hmm. shot, a, um, a white guy shot a black guy in the face yeah. and went back to mm-hmm. cooking, went back to barbecuing or whatever he was doing. The police mm-hmm. got there. And basically they asked him what happened, and he said, oh, I just shot a nigger, and then was perturbed by the fact that they arrested him. You know, he was upset, like, why are you arresting me? I just shot it. Look, you know, goes back to what that 16-year-old young boy said, that young man, and he said, you know, what is the value of a black life? Seriously. Because, you know, with, with the election of Barack Obama, it's become more overt, 
it's become more over, which, you know, to a certain degree, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that because yeah. at least oh, we know yeah. what we're dealing with is coming back to surface. But where do we go from here? You know, one of our questions that we're always asking, and with those of us, you know, that are being affected yeah. by this, you know, in our families, we have to get active. We cannot be yeah. angry this week and then a month from now we forget all about it. We can't allow that to happen. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that um, one of the one of the places that we go, and I wanted to bring this point up before, um, is is that we also have to pay attention to. I mean, we were talking about white supremacy, and we we also have to pay attention to the to the various similarities between our experiences and the experiences of other minority groups, um, particularly right. immigrants, um, because uh, I see a, bit, a lot of similarities in, in sort of the experiences, you know, um, the, um, you know, the um, patty rollers and the freedom papers uh-huh. and, um, you know, Trayvon being, you know, questioned about whether or not he ha- had a right, quote, unquote, to be there, you know, th- th- you know those sorts of things. Um, in in sort of the dialogue that we have about immigration in this country, and um, yeah. and, and a lot of the things that we've seen um, happen to immigrants in this country, um, and, and the way that they've been treated. I mean, look at the um, what's it the uh, what do you call those guys the the watch the watchmen the the you know right. the minutemen or yeah. the, or whatever that are on the yeah, border. Yeah. You know, a lot a lot of those. I mean, a lot of those people have committed you know horrible acts against. People, people who tried to get into this country, right. or people that they, you know, or people that they suspected were immigrants. You know, what I mean, so we have to keep those things in mind too. There are a lot of, you know, immigrant men and women who are being treated in the very same way that Trayvon has been treated. What are you doing here? You don't even speak English. You don't have any yeah. business being here. That's why they kept you know, trying show to show me your him. papers. You know. Yeah. That's why they tried to Jan bring Bull. up so much that he was Latino, you know, instead of white, you know. But, like, you know, the point is that you, you could be a black person growing up in a, in a white family and, and think you're white, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, it doesn't, it's not, a, it's not about know. thinking that you're white. The fact of the matter is, is that you can harbor, you know, racist bias against, exactly. uh, against your own group and against other groups. Exactly. With or without thinking that you're white, there's. I mean, you know, they've done. We talked about the implicit bias test before. You know, if you take the implicit bias test and you give it to college students and 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 um, police officers, they're going to, you know, say that. Um, uh, you know, they're going to sooner shoot the black man with the wallet than the white man with the gun. But the same thing, if you give it to a, a group of all black people, at least 42 percent of those black people are going to shoot the man with the wallet before the white man with the gun. So I mean, you know, forty-two percent is not, you know, it's not the majority, but it's a high enough number that shows you right. how deep racial bias is entrenched in our culture, and how exactly. it and how it even filters into the people who it's primarily used against. You know. Yeah. So, well, we have a call. We have all facts on the line. Let's bring all facts into the conversation. He's been waiting for about ten minutes. All okay. facts. Are you there? Yeah, how you guys doing? Good. How are you? How are you doing? Pretty good. I wanted to step on what the gentleman said. He's very, very important when we was talking about the where. And I want to try to correlate this on what the federal government should be looking forward to charging with these hate crimes. See, I always tell my sons, I say, it's illogical. A belt is made to keep your pants up. It's illogical for you to wear a belt and the pants keep coming down. 
It's illogical for every time you walk and every other step that you take, you have to pull up your pants. You know, it's illogical for you to walk like a penguin. It's illogical it's going to put stress on your back, right? Okay, so they don't wear sags, right? But having said all of that, I cannot discriminate. I can may look at somebody and say, I'm not going to dress like that. But I cannot falsely perceive them as being a threat to my community. Now, the media, these lawyers, I've got law, scholars, all these lawyers playing with words, right? Because basically all of them are basically classmates if you listen to the case. But, see, we're playing games in this world. See, the, the FBI went down there and said, well, we didn't find no racial biases. But now the only thing that they're going to do, if they go and the federal government charge them on a hate crime on race, they're going to lose. And what we need to do, it's factual, is charge them on ethnicity. When you were talking about how someone else dressed, that's that ethnicity. Your ethnicity includes what you, the color of your skin. It also includes your culture. It includes the way you dress. That's your ethnicity. So if they can, they can clearly do this because the 911 tapes, the only factual information that we have in this case, if it was not for that 100% factual information, we would not have this case. As soon as the 911 tapes was released, the whole case changed because they knew that he falsely perceived Trayvon as being a threat, as a burglar, and he did that. Why? He even said in a hate crime, it says you have to make gestures. His gestures was he called him a punk and an asshole when he never heard Trayvon's voice. Why did he do it? Because of what he was wearing. And it goes back to what your, um, the, um, the host said, the gentleman. I'm sorry if I don't know your name. You said exactly right. So it comes down to ethnicity. If you go, if they try him on race, we need to get away from race. Because if we talk about ethnicity, we have to talk about how black people look at other black people. Uncle Tom could have killed him. It could have been a hate crime because he falsely perceived them. They have hate crimes for, quote-unquote, gang members killing up each other because of the color of what they wear, blue and red. They have that on a federal crime. Because a hate crime is when you don't know. It's different. We say, well, a hate crime is everybody hate. No, it's different in a hate crime. Hate crime is you have no dealings, never know the person whatsoever. And you falsely perceive them. You don't know them whatsoever, and you start trouble with them. You can fight them, you can beat them up, or you can kill them. But like as I said before, and I'll be quiet, the factual information says on that tape he falsely perceives Trayvon as being a threat. He grouped him by what he was wearing, and when he got out that car, he was making sure a quote-unquote asshole that he perceived wrongly got away. He caused the event. So that's it right there. But if you go on race, he's going to say, I had a black girlfriend. I had a, Because if we go on ethnicity, guess what? All of us, because you, you know why don't lawyers don't want to say ethnicity? Because they're going to have to talk about themselves, me, all of us, on how we look at another person just because they don't dress like we want them to dress. And I'll say this and I'll be quiet. Obama said get these basketball stars and entertainers to try to help these kids. Listen, they're not going to help. They've been here. I'm sorry, the churches, all of them have been here. We're going to have to look at ourselves and say, look, okay, we want you to go to school. We want you to get a good job. We want you to get a trade. So do that. Don't let them, you want the kids to change their dress, their speech, all at once. Let them have a little culture if they like. You can like hip-hop, but how are you making your money today? Are you putting some work on during the day to making the world go around? You know, what are you putting there? And then after you come from work, let them dress the way they want to dress. Of course, at the job, you got to be in a uniform. 
you know, no one wants to wear that nice clothes. Uh, wearing it. So if we have to look on how we perceive people, and sometimes we're just going to say, hey, everybody can't dress like us, but what are you doing? How are we treating each other? So he falsely perceived them how he was dressed. If Trayvon was walking in a suit, a rain jacket in a suit with an umbrella, he wouldn't have stopped him if he was black. So that's all I wanted to say, guys. Thanks. Thanks for letting me share, I mean, you know, just get my uh, opinions out. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know about the, whether or not he would have stopped him with, you know, the rain jacket and the suit. But the fact of the matter is, is that you don't have to wear a rain jacket or a suit. You don't need a Ph.D. You don't need a master's degree in order for someone to treat you like a human being. You know what I mean? Period. It's right, not exactly. About, it's not about your exactly. class. It's not about your resume. It's not about anything. It's not about you acting, quote unquote, in a respect or what someone else finds respect a respectable way. It's about that person treating you as another human being who is deserving of life. Exactly, exactly. And thanks for calling all facts. We appreciate it. We have another call trying to get involved in the conversation. Area code nine oh four, may we ask who's calling nine oh four? Hi. This is Gene. I'm I'm from Florida. Duval. Hi. Hello. Hey. How you doing? Um, Good. I noticed. Well, you're black free thinkers, right? I mean, this is this is the Facebook group name. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Okay. Well, I noticed that my opinion differs from you guys very much. So I'm more so can't say more so to the right because a lot of the ideas are illogical in my opinion. I'm kind of, I lean towards that way, and I noticed that since I felt against illegal immigration, you kind of kicked me out the chat room, I don't know for what, but I was going to express the reason why I was against it was simply because you guys were talking about immigrants and um, trying to compare this to Trayvon Martin, which I don't see how you can possibly do that, but the reason why I'm against it. Because they use the same language, because a lot of the xenophobic language is also racist. I said because a lot of the language that is used in anti-immigration rhetoric is also the same language that is used in racist rhetoric. They match up. Exactly. You're talking about xenophobia. Okay. You can you can you can you can have views on on immigration reform that are not racist. But unfortunately, oh, yeah. a lot of the uh, rhetoric uh, that, is, that is used has racist implications. That's why I'm saying I was compa- making that comparison. But go ahead. But such as such as how when when uh, I don't understand how a lot of blacks love to defend illegal immigrants when they come here, they take over these na- they don't necessarily well, take over the neighborhoods. The fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is they don't take over the neighborhoods. So I don't if see anyone, how blacks Well, if you want to go, if you want to talk about illegal immigration, let's go back all the way to to the to the very first illegal immigrants who came to this country and stole land from millions of Native Americans and decimated their population and then oh, moved yeah. them onto reservations. Please, please. So let's talk Can about I that. Can I tell you this? That's a nice argument. And if you really want to talk what? about, they're not they're not the controllers of this country. Oh, why don't we talk so that, about the illegal, really nice illegal immigrants who went to the who went to the continent of Africa, who went to the continent of Africa and stole our ancestors and brought them to this country and also well, controlled you, and well, still control the resources of Africa and keep well, the population called, illiterate and 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 disenfranchised. Let's talk about well, that. Let's talk about that illegal immigration as well. If you really want to talk about immigration, brother. If you really want to talk oh, about ahead, it, I'm sorry. Okay. If you really want to talk about it, 
They talk about illegal immigration. You got to talk about why they're coming here, and it's because the people who people will hire them. And so to blame the person coming across the border rather than the person who helps them get across the border so they can hire them and put them into farms and and, and factories and, and, and shit, and it's still the same trick. Because if you were to go back to what Raina was saying, the only reason for slavery in the first place was that rich white dudes did not want to pay poor white folks a proper wage. So they got niggas to do it free. And now that we're here, we don't want to do it for the same ridiculous price, and so now they got to get some new slaves. That's okay? Right. It's all about new slaves. Now, that's my original question. They were lazy. Hang on. If I, if I could speak for one second to brother, uh, to my man from Jacksonville. Um, brother, I'm the American son of Guyanese parents. My, fa- my family are, is from South America, and I can assure you for the record that when they came here, they didn't take anything from you. They ain't take a damn thing from you, player. So you got to stop that right there. Second thing is, if you're going to get mad at immigrants and you want to suggest that they leave, then you need to come up with a way that you're going to get back the $15 billion that immigrants put into this system every Thank year. Thank are you, you. going to do that? Can okay, you do well, that? Okay, well, you know what? Uh, Absolutely. I'm going to do that. Because are, are you going to get those folks? A, are you going to... Because are you going and, and to my, get Walmart? My, look, uh, let me finish. And my mother... No, my mother no, well, and my let me, father, no, no, okay. you had your chance. Let me, let me just ask real quick. Are you going to get Walmart, uh, Target... Apple, Microsoft, and all of them to shut down their factories in those countries and bring the jobs back so Americans can get those jobs so that you think illegal immigrants are taking? Are you going to get them to no. do that? All no, right. You're blame the so poor. Like I said, why are you blaming the them? Why are you, bl- why are you blaming or are you gonna, who just want a chance to live? No, no, no. I'm just, I need to finish my question. Why are you blaming people who only want to make a life for themselves and they came for an opportunity that was offered to them? It's not so blame. It's more of the problems they actually bring here. That's what, what I'm angry what, what, what at. They don't bring any problems. You can't blame somebody. How are you going to blame somebody on the bottom for the problems that already exist? Either. My parents are Dominicans. I'm Dominican. I'm originally Dominican. I'm not from here either. So you should but be kind of hurt saying immigration. that your parents because are, my are thing bringing is, problems that were already here. here and expect amnesty. And not do things the right way. I think that's a slap to my parents' face, who came here. But, see, you, but that's because you're thinking Island to come here and do what they have to do to make it in America. Okay. But and you're falsely thinking. Come here. They should have Illegal immigrants racism. aren't only Mexicans. I'm not saying they're Mexicans. Illegal immigrants come literally from all over the world: Europe, Canada. Um, and some contribute parts of Africa, to the Asia, society. They shouldn't have to deal with racism. Period. I don't care where yeah. it comes it's from. It's not racist to say come here the right way. It's not nowhere near racist. No, but the, I don't the whole care thing you is come brother. here the right way or the wrong way. They're gonna what is the right way? racist against you. <laughs> was the right hey, way so was the, the right part. way? Was, was, did Europeans come over here the right way? <laughs> that's the thing about it is he actually the right way. Here's the thing. He thinks that a racist. He thinks that a racist is gonna see his family and go, oh. They came the right way. No, they hate you too. Yeah, period. That's the exactly. first thing. And, and Travis was correct when he says people are getting angry at the people that are coming to this country seeking employment, seeking a better better life. And if you look at statistics, there are more um, immigrants 
leaving this country than there are coming in. The, the, the trend has reversed, but we should be looking at the companies that are hiring them because they wouldn't come here if there wasn't a demand for their exactly. services and their work. I mean, look at look at look at look at look at um you know our our produce industry. You know, you would not be able to pick up produce in your grocery section for the price that you pick it up for if if, if they were, they weren't using illegal labor. You would not yeah. be able to do that. Absolutely. But then, Absolutely. And, and you just and you have to deal with that. It's a fundamental part of our lives. Cheap labor is, is the foundation of our democracy and, and, and the foundation of our capitalism. That is the sad reality. And the fact that these people are trying to improve improve their lives and come here and struggle, I cannot fight against them because we're because we're trying to do the same thing. I'm saying we need to work together to improve life exactly. across the board. Exactly, but again, I need to tie it back into the laws, you know, which is why, you know, I'm stressing this to people. If you go back and you look at the laws, and I'm going to take us all the way back to the New Deal, basically that's when primarily people of color, black people, were working in the field still, working as domestics. Those two particular people working in agrarian type of situations and people who were working as domestic helpers, domestic work, they were Excluded. That's why they couldn't get unemployment, and when they were able to get unemployment, there was disparity in the amounts they were offered. And even to this day, um, people who work in agricultural or agrarian type of um, professions, if you will, in domestic type of professions, they do not um, still have the same rights as, you know, someone who works in the mail role, someone who's the CEO of a company. And we need to go back, That's and right. we need look at all of those laws, which is why, you know, it's great to have these conversations, but it's time to start pressing these politicians. If I may say something, too, and, and you know, Raina made the comparison, but it is also very racist. Um, you know, it's not also, it's not like racism. It's, it is racism as, racism as well. So she made the point, and it's very on point. And you, gotta, you have to look at it this way. Because when people are talking, it's that same image that plays into people's heads. When folks are talking about illegal immigration, who do you think they're talking about? The Canadians or the French, Germans? They're talking about black and brown people. They That's don't right. want the black and brown people coming anymore. Right. They're right. coming. And then listen to how they describe them. If you just change the lingo, they're talking about the American welfare queen. That's who they're talking about. They're coming mm-hmm. and taking all our jobs, and they don't want to work, and they're lazy. What's the contrary? Could yeah, you have to make up. The first thing they have to make up their minds, right? Like they have to yeah, make up their minds. Are they taking your jobs or are they shifting? Right? Like, yeah. are they taking yeah, their jobs? Are we taking or your jobs or are we shifting? Yeah. You can't be both. So that's they, they, they're that's taking my job. Y'all all are welcome, but y'all taking my job. It, mm-hmm. it can't be both. Yeah. It cannot right, be both. Right, right. Yeah. Just like what they you did know? with the slaves. They're lazy, but they're doing. Yeah. But they're. But they're. But we need them for our economy. So and which I'm one is it? Either they're lazy, or you don't need, and you don't need them, or you need them. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that tells you right there they're again. stupid. They were real stupid. Call somebody lazy that you ain't paying. Come on, man. Exactly. But we have a caller. We have a caller from 310. May we ask who's calling 310? Hi, this is Tony in Los Angeles. How are you guys doing today? Hi. Tony. Hey. Hey. Um, I wanted to make a 
about um, quote unquote illegal immigration. Um, I can't uh-huh. remember the name of the book, but um, Juan Gonzalez, he's one of the co-hosts of Democracy Now. He wrote an excellent book, and they did a documentary about how colonialistic practices, whether they be like physical colonialism or economic colonialism, actually foster a climate that essentially makes people have to, quote-unquote, illegally immigrate in order to get jobs. Yeah. It's a great economic and social... And you could Google it, but I can't remember the name of the it's book. A, it's a good documentary. I can't remember the name either. But I know yeah, what you're talking about. Yeah, but it's a documentary. It premiered, like, earlier this year, and uh, it was just a very good analysis. And if you um, look at... Go back and look at archives of Mark Now. He talks about it often. They feature him on there. I think they yeah. actually aired the um, they aired parts of the documentary on the Democracy Now. So yeah. if you can't find yeah, it, did. you might be able to just find the Democracy Now episode on on iTunes. Right. Yeah. And also, I used to live in Arizona before I moved to California, and the people who screen up most about quote unquote illegal immigrants slash undocumented workers are basically the rich folks who use them. And they don't yeah. want immigration policy because they get the cheap labor from, you know, these are people who are building their million dollar houses. These are the people who are raising their children essentially. You know, these are the people who are getting their food, you know, and, and taking care of them. And they don't mm-hmm. want immigration reform because, you know, they want to continue to exploit these people and no, exactly. and I know this because I used to work with these people. I used to massage therapists at one of these multimillion-dollar golf communities, and you know they were very adamant about it. And they would talk about these things even in front of quote-unquote Mexican people, Mexican Americans who work for them. Like they didn't didn't care. You know they were right. very right. open about their. Yeah, because they want the ability to work them without without giving them days off or exactly. you know health care yeah, or. You know anything exactly. along those lines? So they want to be able to work with people, them with you know, for very little. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I also used to live in Florida, and I had a friend of mine who was an immigration attorney, and um, she told me horror stories about you know essentially women who are being raped, um, mm-hmm. who are undocumented. Absolutely. And that's why I keep bring I keep saying that there are there are real parallels here because mm-hmm. this is the situation of black people in this country yes, 50 years labor. ago. Right. That is yeah. the same exact situation. It is the, yeah. And it's not just the situation yeah. of Mexicans. There are a lot of black immigrants that come here. There was just a right. story not that long ago about a black woman who was at, essentially being held as a slave. You know what I mean? Exactly. Somewhere, somewhere in California or Nevada, I think one of the two. But, you know, this right. is a situation of, and, and of children, too. There are many children who are brought here. At, yeah, you know, right. who are well, adopted, quote-unquote, who are actually being used as slave labor. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. what I mean? So we have to keep these things in mind. And so yeah. I, I, and cannot, I cannot in good conscience fight and say that we need to improve the, state, the status of black people in this country and, look, and overlook, you know, our brown, our brown brothers and sisters right. who are just trying exactly. to live, uh, improve their lives. You know, and they're, and they're so living in the same situation as we were 50 years ago. That's ridiculous. Right. And then mm-hmm. also exactly. we're caught up in the middle of it are brown and, you know, brown people who are here. Like, I have a friend of mine in Arizona. He was a mu- I mean, worked as a musician. And, like, what happened to him really took the stop for the shape. I remember one time he was stopped 20 times in one month mm-hmm. on his way home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. This is Arizona. And that yeah. was yeah. not... You know, I would drive by and see, you know, if there were more than four 
people who quote unquote look Mexican in the car, guarantee they were pulled over by the police. Mm-hmm. And this is before they passed that crazy law. When they passed that SD, whatever it was, um, I can't remember the exact number. But um, you know, they were doing that before. Yeah. 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 So and and, and, and again, I think it's important that we. And I think it's important that we understand that we that we make people understand that it's not that we are saying that if you have some some views on immigration reform or on 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 how we should control immigration that you absolutely have to be racist. It just so ha- so happens that the people who mm-hmm. control the dialogue for the most part in this country are <laughs> right. Exactly. You know what I mean? And you could do things about immigration and treat people like human beings. Exactly. 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 Yeah, you can right. still have concerns right. about 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 right. things like terrorism or even criminals mm-hmm. coming into the country and still treat, you know, people as human beings. Right. Well, okay. Yeah, and exactly. to start just to just to start the conversation, if you want to have a humane discussion about having, you know, a, 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 about a path to citizenship uh for undocumented immigrants, let's not start off with having them be indentured servants for 13 years. Before right. they can become exactly. American, exactly. Thanks. Who does right. that help? You know what I'm saying? But, uh, let's let's, right. let's change that right there. You can serve right. us. You can fight in our armies. You can feed our kids. You can build yeah. our buildings. You can work in our stores. But you can't you eat can one fruit. of us. From right. years. Like, yeah. It's like a Bible story. You got you know you got to bring a dowry before you become an American, and that's exactly. not the way. Ridiculous. That is not how Ridiculous. this country works. You know, it's and, such and a then, mean pit move to treat immigrants like 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 uh, basic hoes. It's just ugly, yeah, and then, ugly and yeah, wrong. But, 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 but yeah. let's, let's tie it back. Let's tie it back to history. A lot of people don't know and do not realize that when um, Lincoln was about to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, that before he signed the, the Slave Freedom, that there were other countries, Argentina in particular, but a couple of other countries, but we'll just go with Argentina for now, that basically contacted the United States and was asking for all of their, all of the slaves here to be sent to Argentina. And what they were going to do was continue to use us as slaves for five years, and then we would be able to have our freedom then at that point. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Even in this country, when the people were um, freed from slavery, if you will, many of them ended up sharecroppers and tenants. Many of them still stayed on the plantation and worked as indentured servants. And to this day, it's still right. happening. If you go to some of the, you know, some of the back areas of Mississippi and Georgia and, you know, a lot of these southern states, there are some people still living in plantation conditions. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Abject poverty, too, and abject poverty. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's yeah. just, I mean, there, and, and then, too, there's that, there's that parallel, like Raina brought up again, there's that parallel that we're talking about where, just to become a citizen, and my father and my mother had to do this. They've been in this country for about 30 years, and when they went to get their citizenship, they had to take a test where you don't, as an average American, I guarantee you, nobody knows other than somebody who looked it up who the 16th president is, you know? Right. But they have to answer these questions. It's just like when, when blacks got the right to vote. They made up these silly things that you had to do in order to exercise your rights oh, yeah, as I a think, citizen. I know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah. I had to take a citizenship test to get out of high school. I was, I think my class in high school was the last class 
in my county mm-hmm. that ever had to take a citizenship test. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, but I remember, it's ridiculous. But I remember in middle school and high school, we had to learn citizenship. You know, the three branches of government. Exactly. We had to know who the presidents yeah. were. And I don't even think that's teach anymore because I think if people knew that, they, I think, and knew exactly what was in the Constitution and what their rights were, you know, I think a lot exactly. of people would be up in arms. So I don't know, exactly. you know. Yeah, I wish we would probably learn what people who are trying to get citizenship learn. We need to be, learn about our history, you know, and about our rights, you know. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. And so I just think that all of us, it would behoove all of us, of all nationalities, of all ethnicities that live in this country, to understand the history of this country and the role that all of us play because, you know, I hear over and over and over that black people need to learn their history. So do white people and understand their part so in history. Well, oh, yeah, so that's why I said black, white, all of us. You know, we need to understand the history and understand what parts and, you know, what we played in history and how some of that affects today, and especially with some of the laws, because quite a few of these laws are still on the books. And that's why yeah. I say we have the right people in place and isolate the different laws and, and, and be able to expound and explain as to why it gives, you know, different demographics an unfair advantage, and we need to start attacking and amending those laws, and that's by mm-hmm. voting and getting the right people in office, but also bringing these issues to the forefront. And we're down to the last three and a half minutes of the show so, you know, again, you know, I want to thank everybody that called in. And, again, I want to put another appeal out for those of you out there listening. Um, there were five scholarships given away this year. You know, that's where I was last weekend. I was in Los Angeles for the wonderful person the family scholarship program. We're still taking donations for that scholarship program for next year's recipients. You can PayPal a donation to Black Skeptics at gmail dot com. Again, that's Black Skeptics at gmail dot com. B L A C K S K E P T I C S at gmail dot com. So we're taking donations for next year's recipients. We want to give out more than five scholarships next year, and we're trying to expand your, um, that scholarship program. I want to say, as a treasurer, your um, contribution is tax deductible. So. Exactly. They are a 5013-based institution. Yes, they're a 501c3. Exactly. So, yes, please, you know, we're asking people to make donations. They've been coming in, but, you know, if you want to specify that it goes towards the scholarship program, when you PayPal it, you can just leave a message and it will be designated as such. So, again, you know, you know, it was wonderful. You all can go out to um, Black Skeptics Group on Blog see the pictures, we've been posting them all over um, Facebook, and again, you know, we just stress that this is very important. You see where the money is going, we're helping people, and that's what it's about, you know, going back into the community and helping people. But I would like to thank everybody that called in today talking about post-racial America. This is not the last time we will be talking about this particular issue. We're not going to go into overtime. I have a meeting to get to after this, so I have to run. But, you know, again, thank you so much, and I just hope 
that people understand and again pass the link around for this to archives because we need to understand how all of this ties back into history, how all of this ties back into laws that are on the book. It's understanding the role that we play and what we must do as citizens of this country um, to affect positive and constructive change for all of us is not just for people of color. This this will affect everyone, not just um, citizens and residents, but even the people that are here as immigrants, the people that are here as some as illegals. Um, again, we have to help one another because there are atrocities being done in the name of the law and, you know, in basically enveloped in the law. Again, as we were talking earlier about the racist language that is written into these laws, it needs to be challenged, it needs to be critiqued, and most importantly, it needs to be changed. So if you didn't get anything else from that show, I want you to go back to look at history and understand what's happening here. And on that note, we are out of here. And thank you guys again, and we look forward to seeing you guys next Thursday, next Friday, next Saturday, and Sunday. It's going to be a full week. So you guys take it easy and have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one, y'all. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.